I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. This is KSL's Religion Today, a weekly look at religion and spirituality here at home and around the world. Now, here's your host, Martin Tanner, on KSL News Radio. Welcome. This is Religion Today. I'm your host, Martin Tanner. Today's show centers around evidence for the existence of God and Jesus that you may not have considered before. The first category is going to be biblical evidence. The next is scientific evidence and time permitting. We'll talk about Latter-day evidence that contributes to the idea that God and Jesus genuinely do exist. And I'm going to focus here on ideas that I believe to be almost indisputable. I say almost because you'll find somebody who thinks they can dispute anything. But these are nearly irrefutable. The first one is the resurrection of Jesus. We need to look at that not from the point of view of today, where the largest religion in the world is Christianity. And so everybody in the world, almost without exception, understands the concept of resurrection. But at the time of Jesus, the Jews did not have that quality or that belief. That might be surprising to some. If you think it is, ask yourself why an entire denomination of Jews, there are Pharisees and Sadducees, why did one deny the resurrection? And ask yourself this question. This is probably the very most telling question. Where in the Old Testament do you find verses that teach the resurrection. You might say Job, even though the Job verse about resurrection is disputable. It's probably not the very best one. It's there, and we can use it. That's one verse in the entire Old Testament. Where else would you find it? The answer would be Daniel chapter 12, the first three verses. Those talk about Michael, the chief of the angels, talks about a time when there will be terrible suffering and many people who have their names written in the book will be protected, but also many of those who lie dead in the ground will rise from the dead, some to eternal life, others to eternal shame. And this is a fascinating verse because this is undeniably an Old Testament reference to a resurrection. And This is somewhat unique. So keeping that in mind, at the time that Jesus was alive and his disciples, the idea of a resurrection was counterintuitive. Why? Because Hellenization, the Roman Empire, which had been around for several hundred years by the time of Jesus, taught that material things, as in a physical body, would not be something 
that is glorious and wonderful. Because everything that's physical, whether it's alive or dead, dies, breaks down, erodes, doesn't last. Physical things are a mess, according to Hellenism. And so the idea of resurrection makes no sense to people living in that time period. Skeptics may dispute the idea that Jesus rose from the dead, but in contradiction or contravention to the prevailing ideas at the time that everything that is physical breaks, falls apart, dies, and is not glorious and wonderful, in contravention to that idea, you have in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 6, saying over 500 people who were in the church saw Jesus after the resurrection. And it says most are living at the time they, that Paul wrote this, although some have died. If this were a false statement, you would see Christians disputing it as inconsistent and unscientific with Hellenism, but you don't. You don't even have the Jews saying that. This is a fantastic and quite amazing and little understood evidence for the truthfulness of the resurrection and hence the reality of Jesus. Here's another one. Paul's complete turnaround from skeptic and murderer to a Christian. In Acts chapter 7, verse 58, we have witnesses against the Christian man, Stephen, lay down their coats at the feet of Paul. According to Jewish legal tradition, the accuser of a person held the coats of the witnesses. Paul was the accuser of Stephen. Paul was the one who was legally and morally responsible for the death of Stephen. Paul did not like Christians. Paul was angry with Christians. If Paul's vision of Jesus were not true, he would never have done a 180-degree change and become a Christian based on it if he thought it were just a dream or a hallucination. He would never have become a Christian. To Paul, his vision of Jesus was the most real thing he had experienced. How do we know this? He changed his entire life because of it. He changed everything about his life because of this vision. Paul's complete change shows that it was real. Jesus was real. The resurrection was real. Here's another one. The opponents of Christianity failed to produce the dead body of Jesus after he was killed on the cross. That may seem kind of like a strange thing to say, but think of it this way. The Jews had every incentive to find the dead body of Jesus to say, ha ha, you guys said he resurrected from the dead, but he didn't. Here is his body. That never happened. And in addition to that, the tomb with Jesus' body inside it was sealed shut with wax and a seal, and there were Roman soldiers who stood guard. 
These were the elite. This would be like SEAL Team 6 today, standing in front of the tomb and being told, anybody who breaks in here, if you let him in, the death penalty. You'll be court-martialed and shot. But what happened? They all ran away. They were afraid. This is an incredible witness that Jesus' resurrection was a reality. Here's another one. The change in the brothers of Jesus and in Mary herself after the resurrection. When I talk about the earthly family of Jesus, some people become a bit uncomfortable when I read what the New Testament says. In Mark chapter 3, we read in verses 20 and 21 that when his family heard about Jesus going out to preach, they tried to restrain him, and they were saying, he's kind of gone mad, he's out of his mind. This is the mark of people who did not believe Jesus and his ministry. His half-brothers just didn't. There's another um, verse just slightly ahead of that where it says, his own family heard of this. They went out to take custody of him, saying that he lost his senses. I said that was a little ahead of it. This, this is a little different translation. Sorry. Family members are sometimes the hardest ones to persuade, and in Jesus' case, they indeed were. But what happened? After the resurrection, these skeptical brothers became stalwart Christians. The book of James was written by Jesus' half-brother James, who had changed from skeptic to true believer in the resurrection of Jesus. And the same thing with Jude, or Judas, his other half-brother who wrote the book of Jude. They all believed strongly that Jesus had indeed come back, and they were devout Christians. All right, when we come back, more about evidence for the resurrection of Jesus and for the existence of God. Stay tuned. I'm Martin Tanner. This is Religion Today. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind, only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor, Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Religion Today with host Martin Tanner continues on KSL News Radio. We're back. This is the second portion of Religion Today. If you have a question or comment about this, program or any other program, or if you just have a general religious question, feel free to send me an email to 
martinstanner at gmail.com, and I'll be happy to respond. One of the things that I wanted to jump into now is some scientific parameters about the universe and the earth, because science has come to the point of view, and many scientists within various scientific disciplines have come to the point of view that there must be some kind of intelligence which is behind the creation of the universe. In other words, a god is the logical explanation for the existence of the universe and life on earth. Let's describe and go into for just a minute or two why this is true. Let's start off with one easy to comprehend, very simple idea, and that is that people could not have created the universe. We just don't have the ability. We are too limited to have done that. It's not possible. But there's a flip side to this, which is that the universe is too limited to have created life and especially people. Now, how do we know that? We have a number of parameters for life to exist that are so unbelievably thin or small or delicate that the universe has been around too short of a period of time and it is too limited, too small, to have just by chance just by random chance, the ability to have human life created here on Earth. Let's take a look at some of these things. Let's look at first the mass of the sun. If the sun were greater in size than it is, then what would happen is the Earth would be too hot. Life could not live. If it was too small, then we wouldn't have life at all because it would be too cold and we would not have the appropriate tidal forces that would disrupt the rotational period of the planet and things really get out of kilter. We also have a sun that is of the right color. If it were more red, then you wouldn't have the kind of photosynthesis that produces plant life the way we have it. And the same thing is true if it were more blue instead of more red. We are at the right sliver in between those two extremes to have photosynthesis work. Next, gravity. If gravity were stronger, we would have in the planet's atmosphere huge amounts of ammonia and methane, and that would make for an inability to have life. If it were weaker, the atmosphere would lose too much water and it would drift off into space and would not support life. You also have the problem that if gravity were too strong or too weak, life would not work very well physically, mechanically. Earth's distance from the sun. If we were too far away, water would be too cool we were too much closer, water would boil and burn. We're right at the right distance from the sun. Next one is one that many people haven't really thought of, the thickness of the Earth's crust. If it were thicker, 
we would have too much oxygen. If the Earth were thinner, volcanic and tectonic plates would probably be too great, and we would have great instability. Animal life would die. It would be a mess, and it wouldn't support life very well. How fast the Earth rotates is another fascinating one. If the Earth rotated more quickly or less quickly than it does, gravity would be affected, but the most incredible difference would be in temperatures, and it would be difficult to support life. Another fascinating tidbit here is the moon's gravitational pull on the Earth. If it were greater, the rotational period would be too severe. You'd have these massive tides in the oceans. People couldn't live close to coasts at all. If it were less, the Earth's orbit would change so much that it would cause climatic instability. You have a similar thing with the magnetic pull of the Earth. If the magnetic pull in the Earth were stronger, you would have electrical storms that would be too severe. Lightning storms, things would burn up. If it were weaker, you would have no protection from solar wind particles, and that would be a problem the other way. Then you have the tilt of the axis that creates the seasons. If it were not there, surface temperatures would be too great. If if the axis were were much more than it is now, if the tilt were greater, surface temperatures would be too great. If it was less, they would be too small. The amount of reflected versus absorbed light from the sun because of the atmosphere is also a fascinating one because if it were greater, there would be a runaway ice age. If it were too little, the greenhouse effect would develop. We live in a very fascinating place. If Earth's oxygen to nitrogen ratio in the atmosphere were different, life functions would proceed too quickly or too slowly and life would not be possible. You have similar problems if carbon dioxide and water vapor levels were different than they are now. Same with the ozone layer. And if, fascinatingly enough, we had more lightning on the Earth, there would be great fires and destructions. And if we had just a little, then there wouldn't be much nitrogen in the soil. Earthquakes. Seismic activity, if we had too much, there would be incredible destruction all the time, like we see, sadly, in the country of Turkey and Syria lately. And if we had almost none, nutrients on the Earth's ocean floors would not come up. The Earth is this incredible balance, and if you add all of these 15 points that I've mentioned together and calculate how unlikely each one of them is, you see that it is billions and billions and billions to one against all of those being present. It's quite an incredible ratio. All right, let's talk about a few restoration evidences for the existence of God and Jesus that you may not have considered. One of the first ones is that God and Jesus appeared to Joseph Smith arriving through a pillar of light. 
That sounds very much like the tunnels that are described in near-death experiences. Joseph Smith also described Moroni's leaving through a conduit into heaven and and the light gathering around it. Near-death experiences, thousands and thousands of them have this same kind of description of a tunnel. They didn't take that description from Joseph Smith, and Joseph Smith certainly did not take it from near-death experiences. Each one complements the other and is a great evidence for the other. Another one is how bright and glorious God and Jesus are. Joseph Smith described them as being brighter than the sun at noonday. George Ritchie, for example, who was a friend of mine and who gave one of the earliest known descriptions of that, described something a little bit different, that Jesus was brighter than a million welders' lamps. He didn't know about Joseph Smith, and Joseph Smith certainly did not know about George Ritchie. Those, to me, are a couple of amazing and indisputable evidences from the Bible, from science, and from the Restoration that help prove, if you will, or have great evidence for the existence of God and Jesus Christ. Join me again next week. I'm Martin Tanner. This is Religion Today. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear-gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind, only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.